pray this every single day of your life this year. Only instead of praying it like it was spoken to God's people who were Israel, you're God's people, modern spiritual Israel, according to Paul. You pray it about yourself and say things like, God said he will set his eyes on me for good. He will bring me into my promised land. He will build me and not pull me down. You pray the word of God, not just for yourself, but do it for your family. Pray for your family. Your business owner, pray it for your business. You're struggling with your finances, pray it over your finances. He will build my finances and not pull them down. Dare to learn the value of praying God's word over your own life. And then this verse in Daniel, we've all heard it, but I want to speak from it today. Daniel 11 and 32, the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out exploits. And in the Hebrew, to know the word to know, that know their God, that word means to learn by observation or experience, or it means to learn through relationship. If you can learn who God is, I mean not G-O-D, the guy in the sky, Uncle God, Father God, whoever, if you can know through relationship who he is, Daniel said you're going to be strong and carry out exploits, and I'll get to that before I'm done. And then this familiar verse, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. So we're talking now, since we're talking this year about building your dream, the dream of a life you've always wanted, we're talking about how to make that dream become a reality. And to make your dream for your life become a reality, watch it, there are several steps, regardless of whether it's in business or relationship or finances, several steps you've got to go through to make your dream become a reality. Number one, you've got to see it. That has to do with vision. How can you go where you don't even know you're supposed to be going? Number two, you've got to say it. You've got to declare it. Because there, God knows there's enough voices telling you it's not going to happen. Then you've got to pray it because you need God's help. Number four, you've got to pay it, which is to pay the price to get there that has to do with priorities. You've got to play it, which is play the hand dealt to you and stop crying over the fact you don't have somebody else's opportunity. And you've got to stay it, which means you've got to stay in. Don't quit a half mile from the finish line. And then you've got to sanctify it, which means once you get to where you're going, once you've got your dream, don't let that dream cause you to fail God by making you forget who brought you there, like so many have. I've talked about seeing it, which is vision. I've talked about saying it, which is to declare on earth what God has already prayed and spoken over you in heaven, de declared over you in heaven. Now I want to talk about praying, okay? Father, I ask that you would speak a word to us today, and may we come to understand that prayer, possibly, even in Christian circles, is not understood the way it was meant to be understood. What we think it is probably should be adjusted and corrected to reflect what it really is. And I feel like you've sent me today to help us make that commitment 
to move from what we think prayer is into what it really is supposed to be. And I really need your help in helping communicate this in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Prayer means different things to different people. Would you agree? Yeah, just like weather. Somebody says, boy, the weather's really bad because it's raining outside a little bit, you know, and we got up and it was dark 30 outside at the first service, and it's earlier than people are accustomed to, and everything's shifted, and it's a little bit cool. You know what somebody from New York would be saying right now? Wow, isn't that incredible weather down there? <laughs> Everybody has a different interpretation, a different understanding of what some things mean. Prayers that way. For example, in my family, there were different understandings of prayer. My mother's side of the family, who southwest Louisiana, uh, being raised in, in that context, that meant, of course, prayer was, was more Catholic. That's how my mother was raising me. And that meant prayer consisted of our fathers and Hail, our, and Hail Marys and all of that kind of stuff. Go do so many our fathers and so many... Hail Marys, and uh, really, that was memorized prayer. My grandmother on my dad's side, they were radically different. They actually d looked down on memorized prayers. My grandmother was an intercessor. She was one of those that when she prayed, the windows rattled. Amen. And they thought somebody was being murdered in her house. Ah, God, you know, and, that kind of a deal. Neighbors, oh, what's going on? Oh, it's just nanny praying across the, the way there. I mean, different kinds of things all together. And just like the weather means different things and other things can be interpreted differently by individuals depending upon their experience, prayer also means different things. Uh, to somebody, for example, talking about computers, uh, someone else that was raised in another era might not relate so well, which the weather thing makes me think of. I'm from Louisiana. I can tell a Boudreaux joke early one morning. And uh, Marie got up, and uh, Boudreaux was at work, and Marie panicked, called her husband at work. Boudreaux, she started, I'm having a bad day. The kids missed the bus, and I got to pay the bills today, but the windows is all froze. What am I supposed to do? And Boudreaux answered calmly and patiently, Share, you just pour some warm water on, on that, and you'll see. I know you're in a hurry, but just wait a little bit, and then windows will get all unfroze, just like that. So she said she would, and he went back to work, and a couple minutes later she called and said, Boudreaux, I poured water on them windows just like you said, and now the computer don't work none at all. It started sparking and smoking. And when T. John tried to unplug it, it shocked him. Amen. What do you mean pour water on them windows? Amen. You have to first make sure people are on the same page. Would you agree? And so I want to talk about pray it, but I want to try to get us on the same page and my subject today is the born identity. The born identity. Leave the E out. Forgive the, the play on the movie series that uh, starred Matt Damon. But I was reading just or, or this past week 
the news online while I was in Africa, and I happened to notice that Matt Damon has confirmed that he will appear in a new Jason Bourne movie that is to be released next year in 2016. Now, the Bourne series of movies based on the character <clears throat> Jason Bourne and played by Matt Damon have been one of the most popular movie series ever created in all time. And uh, I'll tell you something else a little different about my background. I wasn't supposed to watch movies as a kid, but boy, I do love the Jason Bourne series, amen. And every guy in here does. Come on, guys, don't leave me out on this limb by myself. All of us are sit sitting there watching Matt Damon do his thing and thinking, I could have done that if I'd been trained right to it. Yeah. And the fourth in the installment introduced Aaron Cross, played by Jeremy Renner in The Bourne Legacy. Those four movies have earned 1,221,503,329 dollars at the box office, and that doesn't count DVD sales or rentals of the movies. The storyline in the movie series is about a special man. He's special, no two ways about it, who has exceptional skills. He's been trained as an agent, but he doesn't remember who he is. And the movies are about him trying to discover his true identity and his efforts to learn who he really is. And he keeps having these flashbacks that make him aware that he was created to be by some mysterious entity, an extraordinary assassin. And uh, he later learns that his creator was the CIA, that he has amnesia, and he's trying to recover from that. And being right in the middle of this series that I'm teaching, I could not help but make the connection with what I believe. God is saying to us here at CT and indeed to his church throughout the earth right now, I think the church is in a, a time of transition. It really is. Church is, transi is transiting through something. Years ago, it was all about the church, and the individuals didn't matter so much, and we have since come to learn that churches aren't much if the individuals don't matter much. And, and so these days, you, you go to church, and, and, um, and, and people don't realize that that what the Word of God is about is about elevating you and, and lifting you up and empowering you. And I'm sorry for that time we went through and it was about beating everybody down. I'm not talking about CT. I'm just talking about religion in general that made religion the focus rather than the empowerment of the individual that he could fulfill the purposes that God had created him for. But, but these days, it seems that that it's important that we as the people of God understand what's going on. And as I was looking at that news announcement about Jason Bourne, another movie coming out, and Matt Damon picking up that role again, I could not help but make the connection to this fact that I believe that God's sacred scriptures teach that you and I, like Jason Bourne, were also created to be very special. And we, too, are agents for somebody. Amen. I wish I could hear an amen. Only instead of being created to be assassins and bring death, you and I have been created to bring life. We're, we're created to be givers of life. We were created by the mighty God that made heaven and earth, not by some secretive department of the CIA that nobody knows about. Our creator is much greater than that. But unfortunately... 
Like the character in the stories written by Robert Ludlam, whose books I read when I was younger, the church has forgotten who we were actually meant to be. We have spiritual amnesia where Jason Bourne had physical amnesia. And like Jason Bourne in the movie series, we too have a vague sense. See, just every once in a while, Jason Bourne would have a flashback. There's this one scene where he's sitting in a cafe with Marie. You remember that? And he said, how is it that I know there are six cars in the parking lot and I memorized every one of the license tags? How is it that I know the guy standing at the counter weighs 220 pounds and can handle himself in a, in a fight? I, he, he knows all of this stuff because he has been desi- he's been created and he's been taught situational awareness. Anybody that is a recent returnee from from Afghanistan or Iraq will tell you what what situational awareness means. And you're taught to read the circumstance. And in similar fashion, you and I have abilities. Jason would have flashbacks and he would remember just a, a, a snapshot of an event. And you and I keep having these flashbacks that make us realize, wait a minute. I mean, I'm here for a reason, and something stirs within us like, I I was meant for more than what I'm doing right now. I mean, let's turn to somebody and say, I was created for more than this. Would you do that? I was created for more than this. Amen. And in the same way, Jason Bourne had an enemy called Treadstone that was trying to get rid of him. You and I have an enemy who doesn't ever want us to remember why we're here. He wants to get rid of us before we ever wake up. Because until we discover who we are, we are a threat to him. And he lives in terror that the church is going to wake up someday and realize what it was supposed to be doing and get to doing that. And if we ever do, he and his little kingdom are going to be torn down and exposed And just like Treadstone, that department within the CIA, the secretive department, didn't ever want to be brought to the light of day, there's an enemy who doesn't want to have to face the light of day either and for the world to discover what he's actually been doing all of the while. Well, I've been contending that the scripture declares you and I, like Jason Bourne, were created to be something. Only Genesis 1, 26 and 28 tells us that God made us in his image and in his likeness. Uh Then God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness and let them them have dominion. Them, you see that? Them, let us make man. Then them, there's going to be more than one. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, so forth over all the earth. The word image in the Hebrew is salim, and it means a resemblance or representative figure. It resembles what it was made and created to look like, and it is a representative of what that it was made to, to look like. Likeness in Hebrew, which is dmuth, means to resemble or it means a concrete model, it means a shape, it means to be in the same fashion or likeness or manner or similitude of. And the root word actually means to be comparable. Oh, now, now we're going to go somewhere. Because God said, I want to make man in my image, in my likeness, and I want man to look like me. 
be fashioned like me and be comparable to me. That's what your Bible said. Amen. That's what your Bible says. Amen. That's no small thing because do you know what God's like? I mean, God is the self-sufficient and eternal one, and he has no lack in any area of his life. He's not missing out on anything. God wanted you to be something else in this world, and oh, somebody help me right now. And did God succeed? Because to look around us, we see that we're a long way from that. Yeah, God succeeded because in Genesis 1 and 21, 27, rather, it said, So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So God did what he set out to do. He made a man that was a representation of what God was. It was a reflection. It was a mirror image. It was something comparable to the God that made it. And in Psalms 8 and 5, this is what the psalmist said. For you have made man a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. Amen. Do you see that word angels right there? Do you know in the Hebrew that word is Elohim? And all of those of you who know what Elohim means are sitting up straight right now because Elohim is what was used when it said, let God make, or let us make man in our image. God said, okay, the word God there is Elohim said. Whoa, now this is getting scary. You mean that God made man a little lower than Elohim? Then God, that's what it says. You say, why didn't they translate it that way? That word that is translated angels there is used over 2,500 times in your Bible. This is the only place it is translated angels. Every other place it is translated God. Mm. Go think about that. Now, why did they translate it angels? Remember the context, 16th century, King James. You had lords and you had servants, and if you weren't king, you weren't anything, right? And so he commissions the translation of the King James Version of the Bible, and this is what happens. They come to this text, and we, we can't go tell people they were made only a little lower than God. Maybe the king was, but and they put angels there because they felt like that that would be more appropriate. But the truth of the matter is you and I were made only a little lower than God. We were a representative. We were, we were comparable. Hello. Help. I, I, I keep asking you to, to help me because I, I, the reason is, is I, I want to see if you got this because this, this is important. Amen. You were made originally to be a representative, a mirror image, a a comparable representation to God. And then God instructed his creation, watch this, Genesis 1.28, he blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He told that to man, have dominion over it and so forth. And when he instructed them to multiply and that the world, they were to become many, the word was to produce many offspring who were like them, he meant it in the same sense that he told the fish to go reproduce after your own kind. Trees reproduce after your own kind. Animals after your own kind. And if you're a fisherman, you know that a striped bass is not going to produce anything other than striped bass. And if you're an oak tree, all you're going to do is squeeze out an acre and it's going to fall in the ground and produce an oak. You're not going to be a banana tree in the next generation, you know. 
you're not going to produce any offspring. If there's any offspring that are bananas, you've got to find out what's been going on at home while you've been away, you know. You hear what I'm saying? Something's not right in the old house. That's just that, that, that boy don't look nothing like me. Amen. Because if it looks like you, it's, you if it's yours, it's going to, oh. And God said, I want everything that man produces to also be a representative of, of me. It's going to look like the man that was produced. The problem was is that this is our born identity. That's why I'm using this. That We were made in this image, but then something messed it up. And I want you to know that the image we carry right now was not our born identity. It was not the one we were originally assigned. Romans 5, 12, therefore justice through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. Hold, hold on just a minute. All have sinned, man's sin. One man's sin brought sin upon all men. That's what that verse says. And death was the consequence of that sin. What is sin? If I were to ask you, somebody tell me what sin is. Somebody would say stealing. Somebody else say grass. Somebody else would say lying. Somebody else say adultery. Right on down the line. And what we have done, and those things are sins, but they are not what sin means. Stay with me now. Because the word sin is actually an archer's term. Look at the root word. Pull that up on your computer at home and look and see what word is actually used as the root word for sin. The root word is an archer's term to mean to pull a bow back and release an arrow and for it to veer off to the side and never hit the target. And so what God is saying is, is that man never hit the target that I assigned for him. He veered off to the side. He got lost. He never hit his destiny, made his mark, never hit the bullseye. Hello, somebody. And because of that, he died. Death entered the world. All of his offspring have missed the mark. And what is death? Death is the product of the works of the flesh. Hello. It means loss. And your finances can die. Your relationship can die. Your marriage can die. Hello. It's not just your physical body that can die. There are many forms of death. And so in Romans 3 and 23, it said, for all have sinned. Are you watching it? And fall short of the glory of God. The arrow was aimed at the target, but it hit the ground before it ever made it to the target. You see what I'm saying? Fell short. You didn't aim it high enough. You aimed too low. Am I helping anybody right now? In Genesis 3 and 9, when God came back looking for Adam, this is where what he asked. Adam, where art thou? Where are you? What is that? You mean God didn't know Adam was hiding behind that bush, and yet his God knows everything? Of course he knew where Adam was hiding. And what God was really crying out for, that when God said, where art thou? This was the cry from God for Adam to return to the God-like image that God had created him with. Where are you, Adam? I'm looking for the Adam I created. Not this thing that's only a, a, a caricature, an empty shell of what I made. I'm looking for the, for the thing that was supposed to hit the bullseye. I'm looking for the one that was supposed to make the target. I'm looking for the one that was supposed to represent me. Amen, amen. 
And like Jason Bourne, all of Adam's children know deep inside that we were created for something. We haven't figured it out yet because we don't know who we are. We haven't discovered our born identity yet. And unlike born, we know this much, we were created to bring life rather than death. Man has been so beaten down that he's lost his ability to believe that he can be great. Most of us aim too low. We fall short. Did you get that or what I said it a while ago? We don't aim high enough, and we aim low and don't even hit the target. And there are plenty of others around us who are very quick to tell us that you can't pursue your dream. How dare you? Who do you think you are? You remember Yanta's Law that I talked about last week? That's actually a term in, in Scandinavia called Yanta Law, which means the who do you think you are law. You never run into that? You never met anybody that, like, <laughs> he thinks he can... <laughs> Hear people whisper behind your back or somebody tell you you're not good enough, smart enough, never make it, never amount to it. That's yanta law. Don't shake the boat. Don't, don't make the rest of us look bad by doing something that, that shows us that we've accepted mediocrity in our own lives. I'm about to play something, and, and uh, I have them put up on the screen something. And uh, the guy's name is Jonathan. The girl's name, the duo, is, is Charlotte. And this is on Britain's Got Talent. And I, every once in a while, I like to use some of these, and they're different from the one I used last week about, about uh, 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 Lemke and uh, Leslie Lemke. But I want them to play the thing beginning from the very start. It's only going to be a few minutes, but I want you to see Simon Cowell's reaction and the audiences when this couple walk on stage, because this is a demonstration of Yanta Law. <laughs> <laughs> they think they're going to do. <laughs> Come on. Get serious. He thinks he's going to ever make anything out of his life. He thinks he can start a business. You got to be serious here. I mean, you know, quit playing games. Her? Really? Her? Yanta Law. And in this, in my mind, Simon Cowell is just like the devil. Amen. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry to say. Amen. The only difference in Simon Cowell and the devil, if Simon is proved wrong, he will admit it and help you. The devil will never admit it. He's going to try to keep doors closed for the rest of your life. If you get by Simon, he'll open some doors, but the devil will never open a door for you as long as you live. It's his job to close some doors. And I also want you to notice the audience's response. Go ahead and play that if you would, please. Very best of luck. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Have fun. You hear that? Hello. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Good. Nice to meet you. Uh, what's the act called? Uh, Charlotte and Jonathan. Charlotte and Jonathan. Okay. Um, uh, how old are you both? I'm 16. And I'm 17. Okay. Um, and, and you thought the combination would work. Whose idea was it? Um, it was our singing teachers, actually. She thought it'd be good to try us out together. <laughs> and we both sounded quite good when we sang what we did. OK, you're not saying much, Jonathan. <laughs> Are you shy? Uh, sometimes. <laughs> I've always had sort of problems with my size since like, I can remember. And when I was in sort of primary school, it was back then really that I had sort of the mick taken out of me and it, it kind of damaged my confidence quite a bit. When, when people would say something to me, 
I just, it just take a little piece out of me in a sense. I'm quite protective of Jonathan. Like, if someone, if I was there and someone stood there and said something to him, I wouldn't sit, I couldn't sit there with my mouth shut. Before you make a judgment on someone, I think you really need to get to know them. It's not, as cliche as it's not judging a book by its cover. You've got, you've got to read what's inside. Charlotte's been a really big help for me in terms of confidence and making me a better performer. And I really don't think I'd be going up on stage today if I didn't have Charlotte by my side. And do you think you could win? Yeah, together. Yeah. All right, Nobody good luck. believes it, right? Thank you. Thank you. Here we go. like that. You sing beautifully together. It was world class. Thank you very much. Thank you. A pop voice and an opera voice together. It was incredible. Okay, this is what I think. Uh, Charlotte, I think you're good, but Jonathan, you are unbelievable.
have an outstandingly good voice. Thank you very much. How old are you? 17. I mean, that's unbelievable. Jonathan, you are a future star. Thank you. I like the fact that this works as a duo, but I worry, Charlotte, whether you're going to hold him back. We've come on here as a duo, and we're going to stay here as a duo. I wanted them to play that last part. I wanted you to see his response. Now, let me just process a little bit of this with you. You saw the audience's body language when they came on stage. Like, oh, you heard what Simon Colwell said to the lady next to him just when you thought it couldn't get any worse. And then they began to sing. You see, that was their born identity. The identity the enemy assigned them was this big guy that doesn't fit in. People made fun of, low self-esteem. You hear what I'm talking about? Even to Simon Cowell's remarks to the girl, Charlotte, you're going to hold him back. Just so you know how it ended up. Well, you, you saw the expressions of the audience. The guy in the balcony nearly fell out of the balcony. And people crying and cheering like you were cheering just a moment ago. You know why we do that? That story resonates with everybody in here because every one of us have been through something like that where somebody judged us. Hello, somebody. <laughs> held us back told us what we couldn't do and would never do and never be. And we know in our hearts that we were made in God's image and God's likeness. Amen. And just so you know how the story ends, they stayed together and they each signed multi-million dollar contracts with Simon Cowell of all people. Amen. They have since gone on to be hugely successful and now have their own independent careers. But Jonathan, I think, is now, now 20 and he was 17. Three years, these kids are a rage. Amen. I don't even know if you've heard of them here or not. Anybody see that before? A couple of you have. The point that I'm making here, and that's the kind of stuff I like to watch. Amen. Where somebody, you know... I mean, you even surprised the devil Simon at the end of the day. You know what I mean? Even Simon drops his false teeth in his lap. I, I love that because that's really the story of how you and I were created. We were created to be God's agents or representatives in the earth. Now, I realize that the most visible of the gifts are those like singing and so forth, a musical talent. And so you're saying, but me, I, I, don't, I can't sing. I, that's just it. Somewhere inside of you, there's something else that given the right opportunity and watered and developed. Did you hear him? They had a voice teacher. Hello. If you properly train that and develop it, you're something else. You may not realize it, but you carry God's likeness on the inside of you and and. Your born image is not this thing that's walking around not believing in yourself and accepting mediocrity. Your born image is the image God put upon you when you were first brought into the earth. 
Adam's sin created a genetic anomaly, a genetic anomaly. And like a pregnant woman that is exposed to radiation that is strong enough to affect her unborn child and causes that child to have mutations in its body, we, Adam's offspring, became mutants. And unlike X-Men, amen, Halle Berry and, and all the rest, unlike uh, Wolverine and some of the others, Storm, you know, our mutations did not move us toward greater powers. When you study science, you will find out every mutation moves you toward weakness. There's no mutation they found that moves us toward strength. It always mutates the other way, weaker, diluted, watered down. And what is happening here is when Adam sinned and veered off target, the mutation of sin, aiming short, caused mankind to be less than what he was created to be. What is the call of the church? We are called to recreate man in the God's original image and likeness. Amen. And this is why the second Adam came. Paul refers to Christ as a second Adam in 1 Corinthians 15 and 22. 1 Corinthians 15 and 45. 1 Corinthians 15 and 47. The second Adam. Why did there need to be a second Adam? It's because the first Adam lost the born image. And the second Adam came to restore everything the first Adam lost. Amen. You say, you really believe he came to restore everything? Well, read it for yourself from the Bible. 1 John 3, verse 8. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Hello, somebody. Help me out. And in the original, it says all of the works of the devil. Am I talking to anybody right now? All of the works of the devil. This is why religion made a mistake in just thinking that 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 the gospel is for people who are about to die this is, and about, need to get right with God so they can go to heaven instead of hell. Look, there's more to the Bible than all of that. God wants you to be everything here you're supposed to be. And, and now back to the poor guy sitting in his truck terrified that he had missed the rapture. That's not all salvation is for. It's not a fire escape to get you out of, out of hell. It's more than that. Amen. So how do we recapture what we have lost? The image that we're supposed to be carrying. First thing is, and I'll go through this quickly, we've got to be born again. First Peter 1 and 23, having been born again. Everybody say again. Not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. Hello? Adam's seed is corruptible, it's contaminated, it's genetically flawed, it's mutated. But we need to be born through the incorruptible seed, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And in 1 John 3 and 2, what happens when we receive uh, our new birth, our, our born again identity? We get a download of our heavenly father's DNA. 1 John 3 and 2, beloved, now are we the sons of God. Did you see that? The children of God, when now? I need somebody to say right now. Not when I die right now. Not when the rapture takes place right now. I'm a child of God. I've got my father's DNA. Amen. He couldn't deny me if he wanted to. I'll get a paternity test. Amen. He's got to own up to me whether he wants to admit it or not. 
And unlike some dads, God wants to own up to you. He wants to let the world know. It's a whole lot like the old story of the farmer who found an eagle's egg and took it home and put it in the chicken coop in a chicken nest and let the chickens hatch it. And when the eaglet hatched, he didn't look like a chicken. <laughs> Ugly and scrawny. The other chicken didn't want to have anything, chickens didn't want to have anything to do with him. It was clear he didn't fit in. He grew and he looked around and all he sees is chickens. And he thinks that must be what I, I am. And so he's growing with chickens and he becomes grown and still thinks he's what he's looking at until one day high overhead. I was at my daughter's house here some time ago, some months ago, and seven bald eagles were flying over. You know they have them on Lake Houston. They live there by the lake. Seven bald eagles were flying, circling over her house and the house next to it. Jerry Hartless is one of the members of the church. And man, it's something to watch those, those bald eagles. They are regal. And high overhead, that little barnyard, an eagle flew and let out one of those screeches that just, I mean, just it makes your, your, your insides leap. And that little eaglet looked up, and because it wasn't a chicken, it had the superior eyesight of an eagle. And it saw what the, other, the others in that barnyard couldn't see. High above, soaring on the air currents was an eagle eagle. And when it saw that, it awakened something in that little eagle, and it stretched its wings and moved. And when it did, whoa, it, it got off the ground. It could fly. And it started soaring up. To, and the next thing you know, there's not one eagle up there. There are two. Because once you see him, you become like him. That's what it says. When he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And so some people look at prayer, as I said, as the, the citing or quoting of memorized prayers. That's okay. Somebody else says, they pray, the neighbors next door call 911 thinking there's a murderer going down. I mean, both of them have their place. But the point I'm trying to make is for your dream to be built, for you to be who God wants you to be, Daniel said you're going to be mighty and do exploits. And in the original Hebrew, the word exploits isn't even there. It just simply says, they who do know the Lord their God shall do. They're just going to do. You know what that means? Whatever needs to be done, I'm going to do it. Whatever the situation calls for, there are no limits to those who know the Lord their God. At its most basic level, prayer is not reciting some memorized form of conversation to God. Neither is it wailing. But before you ever get to either of those, you need to have a relationship with God. And that's what real prayer is supposed to be about. So I close. Life application points. Here's what I would challenge you to do. Number one, pray but for reasons other than to request something. I challenge you to stop making prayer all about your needs and what you want God to do. We have trained ourselves as Christians to believe prayer is about going to God when we need something. God, I need a job. I need a raise. And my kids need help. When was the last time you prayed? Oh, well, let's see. The last time my kid was in trouble. Yeah. 
That's because we've trained ourselves, or the last time I needed a raise, because we've trained ourselves to believe prayer is about the acquisition of things. It isn't. Prayer is about knowing him. Prayer is conversation. It is building relationship with God. And so pray not to ask anything. I dare you to start praying just to tell him, Lord, you sure are good. Amen. Amen. And then train yourself, number two, to think about him often in the course of the day. And when you think about him, don't fall down and go to wailing. Ah! God and you know ripping shingles off roofs and interceding or memorizing quoting memorized prayers either whenever you think about him right at that moment while you're still doing your job while you're still driving your car still shopping still cooking dinner still filling out that form or making a report right at that moment say something like Lord sure do love you you mean a lot to me and I'm so privileged to know you I mean don't even let anybody else know you got something going on at that moment with God and because they that know the Lord are going to be mighty and they're going to do amen amen don't kneel down and create a big scene right in the middle of the office Pastor said, we got to pray, so y'all excuse me. Oh, God, right in the middle of a bank. Can you see it? Amen. And I'm going to get a phone call. Would you please come pick up this parishioner of yours? And, amen. Don't kneel down and create a big scene. Nobody else should even know what you're doing. This is what Paul meant when he said, pray without ceasing. And number three, do this every time he comes to your mind. Every time you think about him. Oh, God, you've been good to me. Every time he crosses your mind, just want to say I love you. Hallelujah. Just want to whisper your name, Jesus. Mm, sweetest name I know. Hallelujah. And you're just the same as your holy name. Lord, I thank you that you woke me up and, and made me realize my need of you. I thank you that you got a hold of my heart when I wasn't even looking for you. Thank you, God, because you cared about me. Thank you because you love me, God. How can I help but love somebody like you? Amen. And you do that, and it won't happen the first week, and it won't happen the second or the fourth month either. But you know what will happen? You will end up like Willie Nelson. You're going to end up like, you are always on my mind. Amen. And that's what I'm talking about. They who know the Lord are going to be mighty and do exploits. That's where prayer starts. And when you got that going on with God, God's going to build your dream for you. And God's going to help you.